Isaiah chapter 59, a wall against the flood. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. So anytime we're in trouble, anytime a flood of problems are coming at us, sometimes they seem to come in waves, right? You know, sometimes things are going pretty smooth for a while, and then it seems like one thing after another just seems to, to hit us and hit and knock us down. Uh, this uh, past week we had uh, Richard Elliott for here uh, studying with us. I don't know if you noticed he had a burn on his on his forehead. It came from he was out in uh, down in um, South America somewhere, and he was out at the beach, and a um, wave came from behind and hit him and knocked him down, and he got a sand burn. Just hitting the face, hitting the sand, and scraping along the sand, right? So waves sometimes, a flood come in, right? But God's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. He can hear, he sees, he sees what's going on all around this world, Sometimes it seems like he doesn't, right? Sometimes there's so many problems. Uh, major earthquake, thousands have just died. It's like, God, don't you hear? Why can't you save? Where were you in this problem? Where were the, you in this time of need? Right now, Israel, small little Israel, few million people, size of New Jersey, as far as the countryside, has sent more people to Nepal to help in efforts in, uh, for that earthquake than any other country. Think of how many million, yeah. Think of how many million people, right, in the United States and some other countries, right, India, China, much closer to the site. Israel has sent more. Have the newspapers picked that up? Have, have U.S. newspapers been mentioning it? Oh, no, no. But, but if they want to build a, a bathroom in, in Jerusalem, oh, that'll make news here in the United States. But anyway, I'm off on a tangent here now. God's arm is, have we got there? God's arm is not too short to save. And he can save in many different ways. His ear is always attentive. That's it. His eyes are all over the earth. He sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. He hears what's going on, even in secret quarters, even in behind back door dealings and all kinds of motives, and he even sees the, the intent of the heart of those that are coming in like a flood trying to cause problems, he can say his arm is not too short. He's the long arm of the Lord. His ears are attentive, in tune, knowing what's going on. Then verse 2, but... Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, it doesn't mean that every time someone's going through a problem, every time someone has waves of accusations or attacks or difficulties in their life, does not necessarily always mean because there's some sin in their life that that's why God's not protecting them and God's not helping them. But at times, if we have sin on our record, well, all the time, if we have sin on our record, but at times, sometimes the reason for our problems is because there is sin on our record. And if there is sin on our record, if there is sin in our heart, known, cherished, 
knowing what is right and refusing to do it, knowing what is wrong and choosing to do it anyway, it closes off, it puts a gap between us and God. It puts a wall between us and God that he cannot cross, that he will not cross. We are choosing to be in rebellion against him. It has opened the door for Satan because that's the one who brought the temptation, that's the one who brought the sin. And we've said yes. We've chosen no to God, we've said no to God, we've closed the door to God in that area of our life. Might only be one area. We've said yes to Satan, come on in. You can have rule in this area. And once, you know, we give him an inch, he takes it a yard, opens the door to him, and our iniquities then separate us from God. There's other texts like this in the Psalms that says that he cannot hear our prayers because of our sin. Sin separates us from God. And sin held on to till our judgment day will eternally separate us from God. But even in the here and now, sin causes separation. It was sin in the Garden of Eden that caused where God used to walk and talk with them face to face. And then a separation needed to take place. Sin in heaven caused Lucifer to be needed to be kicked out. And one third of the angels, sin separated them. And today, sin separates us from God as well. And not just from God, sin separates us from other people as well. Verse 3, your hands are stained with blood, your lips speak lies and mutter perversity. No one calls for justice or pleads for truth, trusting empty words and speaking lies, conceiving evil and bringing forth iniquity. You hatch evil like eggs. You make your, verse 6, you make your evil deeds look good. Verse 8, and no one is safe around you. Sin just gets worse and worse. It hatches like eggs. And then we try and cover it up and we try and excuse it away and we try and justify it. And we make our evil deeds look good. We try and put some good motive to our wrong actions. As in Yeshua's day, they, 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 they weren't taking care of their family because they said, oh, we're giving to the temple. Other times people uh, will say, I, I, won't, I can't give to the temple, I've got to take care of my family. We need to do what's right with what's right in a balanced way, be able to do both. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, and take care of the family at the same time in the proper order, in the proper way. But we'll justify it, we'll excuse it. We'll make our evil deeds look good. Am I my brother's keeper? Where are those that are calling for justice and pleading for truth? Seems to be a lot of organizing going on, a lot of community organizing going on to get people to, to, uh, to speak out for justice, but are they also pleading for truth? Are they wanting truth or are they just wanting to burn buildings? They're just wanting the riot and cause ruckus and causing dissatisfaction to spread. Are they calling for justice? We need to call for justice with truth. Justice and truth. And justice based on truth. And a true justice. 
And if true justice isn't being met out, yes, we need to speak up and call for justice. Not just speaking lies and gossiping and muttering perversity, backbiting, evil surmisings and talking against each other. Isaiah gives a whole list here, trusting in empty words, trusting in man-made words, trusting in lies. Verse 9, go from Isaiah rebuking, verse 9, a little change takes place, now it says, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. We see a shift taking place here in this verse. We go from God saying, I can save, my arm is not too short, but your sins have separated me, to Isaiah rebuking the people and calling out the sins, to now the people speaking. And confessing. Justice is far from us because of our sins. Righteousness has not overtaken us. We're groping for light, but all we can see is darkness. We're looking for justice, but there is none. We're looking for salvation, but it's so far from us. They're sensing their need. They're sensing a problem. Verse 12, our transgressions are multiplied. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. And now they're getting into full confession, laying it out. We acknowledge we have sinned. In transgressing and in lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood not only come to the realization they're far from God, not only coming to the realization that they can't cover up their sins, not only coming to the realization that they can't justify it before God, that God sees through it, they begin to confess, and not only just in general, our transgressions are multiplied, but specifics. We've departed from our God. We've spoken oppression. We've encouraged revolt. We've uttered falsehood from our hearts. True confession acknowledges the sins, acknowledges the problems, and confesses them before God. If you feel distant from God, God hasn't left. God's arm is not too short to say. If you feel like your prayers aren't being heard, it's not because God's ears are deaf. Maybe there's some sin in our heart. Maybe there's some sin in our life. Allow God to search us and try us. And lead us to true repentance. To lead us to confession. Lead us to turning from the sins. To acknowledging them and not acknowledging them specifically. Before God. Confessing to them to him. And if we have wronged an individual or a people, be real about it and apologize, and make it right. 
Let there be nothing separating you from God. Verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the streets. And honesty cannot enter. Truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We're still at the point here in this flow of thought of how each one of us goes through life, how each one of us comes to the Lord. God acknowledges love for us and his salvation. A rebuke of our sins, a realization of our sins, a conviction of our sins, a confession of them, and then the getting back to God. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. As we begin in that journey to, to, to turn from sin, to draw near to God and to resist the devil, we make ourselves a prey. Satan does not get happy when, when his captives leave him. He roars as a mighty lion and he'll bring more problems and he'll bring more temptations and he'll bring more struggle. But God's arm is not too short to save. Verse 16, the Lord saw that there was no man and that there was no intercessor. There is no one on earth who can help us. There is no human who can help us. There is no way out of our problem. There is no way out of our distress. There is no way out of the sin. And God looks down and he sees our desire to be set free. He sees the conviction taking root. He hears the confession. And he looks down in mercy. The Lord saw there was no man and that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. God saw Adam and Eve, they were in trouble. God sees your troubles. God knows our situation. And he sees there is no help on this earth to help us. So he himself has provided the lamb he himself has left heaven and come down to this earth to be our intercessor. He himself has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He himself has saved us through our salvation, Yeshua T, our Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Therefore, his own arm, as Abraham told Isaac, when Isaac asked, where is the ram for the sacrifice? God will provide himself the sacrifice. As Adam and Eve clothed with the, were naked and offered the sacrifice of the lamb, it says God made skins of animals for them to cover their nakedness. God himself becomes the lamb. God himself covers us with his righteousness. God himself covers us with his own righteousness and sustains us. It is God and God alone who can help us through our difficulties. It is God and God alone who can save us from our troubles. It is God and God alone who can deliver us from our sins and our sinfulness and our transgressions and our resistance and our revolt and our rebellion against him. We can struggle and struggle to try and free ourselves, but we cannot. Salvation will be afar off, an eternity away from us, as we try and struggle in our own strength to be set free. But as we cry out for help, as we cry out to God, 
she will deliver us. He is able to deliver us. Thus his salvation is near at hand because he comes close to the confessing, repentant sinner. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Paul takes up on this analogy and writes about putting on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on our head. And it's easy for us to think, well, he was there in prison and there he is looking at the soldier standing next to him and he comes up with this beautiful analogy. But Isaiah had beat him to it already. Now, no doubt Paul might have been looking at the soldier there standing that he's chained to and remembered what Isaiah had said and he adds some other analogies to it. But it comes right from Isaiah, from God. God talking about himself, Paul talking about us, also that we should put on righteousness as a breastplate, put on the helmet of salvation, carry the word of God as a sword. But here in Isaiah, he's talking about God himself doing the same. That he, the Messiah, who came as salvation for us, came as our intercessor, puts on righteousness as a breastplate, and lived a righteous life. Put on the helmet of salvation and defeated the enemy who bit at his heel and whom he crushed. The Lord crushed Satan's head. And he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing. Vengeance is his, says the Lord. He will take vengeance on our enemies. He will take vengeance on those who harass us. He will have vengeance on the devil himself, the tempter himself the liar himself, the father of lies, the father of iniquity. He will repay. Well, thus we don't need to. Vengeance is his. And he will be clad with zeal as a cloak. And as he comes riding on the horse, clothed in his garments, dipped in blood, written on, the, on him, holiness and righteousness of the Lord. He will come with his vengeance. And according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury for his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. All those who resist God, all those who hurt his saints, all those who cause harm to the least of these, his brethren, God will repay. And so if we're going through troubles, if we're going through a flood, if we're going through heartache and pain, because of our own sins, confess them before God. He is mighty to save, and he will deliver. And he will deal with the enemy who brought that temptation to us. But if we're going through a problem, if we're going through trials, if we're going through a flood because of someone else's choices, we don't need to fight back. We don't need to come down to their level. God 
will put on his breastplate of righteousness. He will put on his helmet of salvation. He will come clad in his garments and he will bring vengeance upon his adversaries and he will repay them according to their deeds. He will come in his fury. He will come with his wrath. And he will deal his justice to his enemies. Because what they've done to the least of these, his brethren, he's really done, they've really done unto him. And he will repay. We don't need to hold on to anger. We don't need to hold on to bitterness. We don't need to hold on to wrath. We don't need to seek vengeance. We can seek justice. We can have people put in prison. We can have people, you know, we can sue people and, and have justice be done on earth. But not with a spirit of vengeance. God will have the final vengeance. God will enact the final blow. He will deal justly. Verse 19, and they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The enemy comes in like a flood charging at us, the devil going about like a roaring lion, trying to knock you over, trying to push your face into the sand trying to drown you underneath. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a wall against him, a standard against him, an army against him. The Lord will stand in our behalf. The Lord will protect us, and the Lord will bring in everlasting righteousness. The Lord will grant his salvation to us. The Lord will lift us up. The Lord will seat us on high. He'll seat us at his right hand. He'll open up the gates of heaven to us. He'll pour out the water from the throne of God. Let us eat from the tree of life. He will grab a hold of the leaves that are there for the healing of the nations. He will heal our wounds, comfort our sorrow, and give us everlasting life. In his presence, he will lift up a standard. He will fight for us. He will do battle for us. And then his name will be feared from the east and from the west. Throughout the universe, all will fear the Lord when he enacts his judgment on the earth. Verse 20, the Redeemer will come to Zion. So obviously he takes us all the way to the second coming. Laid out the plan of salvation, the way to be set free from sin, the way to receive salvation, the way to receive victory and joy and happiness, how to deal with issues, how to deal with problems, how to deal with struggles, how to deal with internal attacks and external attacks. And he takes us all the way to his judgment, to his coming, to his vengeance, to his salvation. The Redeemer will come to Zion 
and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. The Redeemer will come, and he will come to all who turn from their sin, who turn in repentance from their transgression. His arm is mighty to save. If we repent, but even repentance comes from him. Repentance is a gift that God gives us. Confession is something that God gives to us as he lays his conviction upon us. We surrender our hearts and pray, Lord, give me conviction. Lord, give me confession. Give me sorrow for my sin. Give me hatred for sin. Help me to discern sin. Help me to discern. Give me spiritual discernment to discern what is right and what is wrong. Because in our natural state, in our born state, we can't even see the difference between good and evil. We're caught up in the lies, the deceitfulness of the heart. But if we surrender to God and ask him to reveal it, he will show us right from wrong. He'll help us to be able to see through our own lies and the Satan's lies, our excuses and our justifications. The Redeemer will come and he will turn us from our sin. He will come to take us home with him the everlasting mansions that he has prepared for us. The eternal promised land, our Redeemer, who paid the price for us with his own blood. Paul quotes, Rabbi Paul quotes this very text in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 26. All Israel will be saved, will be saved, as it is written in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20. The deliverer or the redeemer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. He will turn from transgression in Jacob. God will turn us and he will save us and all Israel will be saved. The full olive tree, the full tree of the Lord, with the roots grounded in the Messiah, the, the root and offspring of David, the trunk of the Lord, the Lord himself, and all the branches together, the branches of Israel and the engrafted branches of the nations and the regrafted branches of Israel that were broken off, and thus all Israel will be saved in the Messiah when he comes. The deliverer will come out of Zion and will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so Paul, giving that illustration of the olive tree and how we can all be grafted into the Lord, rooted and grounded in him, nourished in him, and that all Israel will be saved. And he hearkens back to Isaiah chapter 59 that lays out in detail from beginning to end how to be saved. How to be saved from sin. How to be saved from sinning. How to be saved from floods and trials and persecution and difficulties. How to be saved from our prayers not being heard. How to be saved from being distant from God, how to be drawn near, 
how to be drawn from God not being able to hear our prayers and work his salvation upon us to being to the part where he brings us right to his throne and makes us co-heirs with him and seat us on his throne with him. From distance to close. Through confession, through repentance, through God's grace, through God's gift, through God's power, through God's conviction, through God's mighty hand. Verse 21, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant, God's promise, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forevermore. What a beautiful promise. God works his deliverance. He works his redemption. He saves us from sin. He saves us from rebellion. He draws us close to him. Saves us from discouragement and despair. Gives us hope. And his promise. And salvation in him pulls up a wall and a standard between us and the flood down to our descendants, descendants. He puts his spirit upon us. And he puts the words into our mouth. Lord, help me pray. Lord, give me a spirit of repentance. Lord, give me a spirit of confession. Lord, give me meekness. Give me kindness. Take away the vengeance out of my heart. Give me words of love and forgiveness, compassion towards my enemies. Give me words of salvation. Give me the words to to say to them, to lead them to you. Give me your words to lead them in the way everlasting. Give me the words that will help with your spirit bring conviction to them. Give me the words to help them to see what's right and what's wrong. You promised you would put your words into my mouth and would not depart. Give me words that seek justice in truth. Give me words that will speak up for the oppressed. Give me the words. Here in Isaiah chapter 59, from being far from God, sunken in being led through confession to God's Spirit, through the gift of repentance, to being drawn close to God, to having the wall of salvation protecting us, to being redeemed, to being lifted up, to be placed upon his throne, and then to be filled with his spirit and sent forth as emissaries for him. From being lost to being used from him in reaching the lost. Full circle. That's where God wants to bring us. 
God doesn't have a congregation with one minister. God has a congregation that's filled with ministers. Everyone being used by the Lord. This is God's promise. My spirit I will put upon you and my words I will put in your mouth and they will not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants and your descendants' descendants. God wants to make us all messengers for him. Wherever you are right now in this spectrum of Isaiah 55, wherever you are in this spectrum of God's salvation, God wants to take us out on the next step in our walk with him. We're in a situation where we feel like God's not Even if you're not sure what it is, ask him to reveal it to you. Or if you're in this, already in this spirit of confession, you already know you're doing something wrong, you already loathe yourself for it, you know it's wrong, you know you're not doing what's right, and you're in that middle stage of confessing, but just feeling like it's darkness, searching for light, but not finding the salvation. Ask God to reveal himself. Ask God to reach down his mighty arm that is mighty to save. Cry out to him. Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Give me victory. I need an intercessor. I need a warrior to fight for me. Or if you're in the stage of gaining victory and you're having victory over sin and you're walking with the Lord and you're in fellowship with him, your salvation is in your life and you're rejoicing in the Lord, your Redeemer. You're walking with him, you're trusting in him. You're trusting in his salvation for you. Let him take you in the next step. Pouring out his spirit upon you speaking through you. And if you're at that stage of turning your heart and mouth and open rebellion, being used by the Lord and rejoicing in Him and in His salvation, walking in Him, asking God to take you to the next step. Lord, who is the next person you want me to speak to in this situation? What is the next injustice you want me to speak out about? What is the next truth you want me to reveal to thee? words in my mouth. Or if you're in a situation where there is no sin on your record right now as you prayed and asked God to search you and try you, but nonetheless the waves of persecution are coming upon you. Troubles are surrounding you. Difficulties are in your life. And you need the Lord to raise up a wall, to raise up a standard between you and the flood. 
cry out to him in your trouble, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, I need that standard. I need that breastplate of righteousness. I need that helmet of salvation. I need you to fight my battle for me. I need you to be the vengeance for me. I need you to be the intercessor in my behalf. I need you to fight this battle and work your deliverance on my behalf. Whatever applies to you right now in your life, and I'd imagine that covers everybody in one chapter of the Bible. I think that covers everybody in the world. Whatever stage you're at, allow God to lead you in the next step. We pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for your righteousness and your goodness. We're thankful that your arm is not too short to save and your ear is not deaf to our cry. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And that you desire for none of us to perish. Lord, work your will in our lives. Wherever we're at, work the salvation and the deliverance and the redemption that is necessary for us. Pour out your spirit that is giving us conviction or giving us salvation, giving us joy in you, giving us your words, raising up the standard in our behalf putting a wall between us and the adversary. Whatever we're needing right now, Lord, meet our needs according to your riches and glory. In Yeshua's holy name.